And God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. This is found at the end of Ecclesiastes. There are only two chapters left as we read this verse, chapter 11 and chapter number 12. And I think that when you read Ecclesiastes, this is part of the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature includes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. It's typically known as wisdom literature in the study of the Old Testament, and it's categorized as such. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you get a recognition that this is somebody that has experienced a lot of things in life. You know it is very, very fascinating, since we're talking about grandchildren and what have you, that at some point in your life you become somewhat jaded. And you get a certain perspective as you're growing up. Your eyes are very wide. You're seeing things for the first time. You're experiencing stuff for the first time. This is why babies are so interesting. Their senses are coming alive and everything that they're experiencing, they are trying to get a grasp on, so they're putting stuff in their mouth and they're grabbing stuff because they are learning. And as you get older and you develop and you reach a level of maturity, you can become somewhat jaded with life until you have a child of your own, and then you experience again through their eyes the things that maybe you have missed or that have become just the norm. And so it takes you out of that experience where you feel like you're jaded, you're somewhat apathetic about life, maybe you're in a rut and a child has a way of opening up those worlds again to you. And my understanding, I can't speak to this because I've not experienced it yet, but the same thing happens when you have grandchildren and they tell me that it's even better than when you have children. Now, I don't know that because I don't have grandchildren, but that's what they say, mostly because you could send the grandchildren home. That's, that's the kicker right there. That's why it's so fascinating. But life can become somewhat jaded. There is a certain grind to life. It happens to everybody. As a matter of fact, there are people in this world that are very jaded with life. They've launched into something supposed to be fun, energetic, passionate, and they find up at one point they've been sold a bill of goods. They're disillusioned with life and they're looking for something better. Well, praise God. I'm thankful in the house of God today you can step into this place and know that his mercies are new every morning. There is a new song that can be sung every single day because God is good to us. I don't have to walk through life jaded and apathetic because I've got a mission and I've got a purpose and I'm walking in the goodness of the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and ruffle your feathers here this morning because we're in a place of encouragement and strength. Amen. We're in the house of God. And so when you read Ecclesiastes, you start reading and you, you read an individual. He's the preacher. The preacher is the one that brings wisdom. And he's very jaded and he is very apathetic. He has seen a lot in life. And so he thinks that everything in life is just a bunch of vanity. It's not worth anything. There is no, there is no life in it. And we get this from the opening pages of Ecclesiastes when he starts and he says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, worthless, worthless. 
is all vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? This is how he starts. Very, very jaded. He works all of his life, and what does he get out of it? It's nothing but vanity. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. People live, people die, and the earth just keeps marching on. And so this produces a life that is just full of vanity and meaningless. I want to preach here today in the house of God and let you know that your life is not meaningless, but you have value. You can be used of God. Don't let the enemy try to convince you that you have nothing to offer. As a matter of fact, in this place today, you've got something to offer. What do I have to offer? I've got praise to offer. I've got worship to offer. I've got faith that I can bring before God. I've got something to offer. I've got something of value. you got something of value. You're excited about it. I want to know here in the house of God today, are you excited about the treasure that God has placed within your grasp called the infilling of the Holy Ghost? It's in earthen vessels, but it is powerful. It is valuable. It is good. Now the preacher's looking at things, and he's just saying, the sun rises and the sun goes down. The wind blows and whirls around. The rivers go into the sea. The sea's not full unto a place from which the rivers come and they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear filled with hearing. People are still looking. People are still listening. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. What's been done in the past going to be done in the future. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said? See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things. People forget stuff. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. One generation is just going to live and forget the next generation. I, the preacher, was the king over Israel in Jerusalem. I gave my heart, he says, to these things. I searched it out by wisdom, everything done under heaven. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, this is a wise man. He's supposed to be one of the wisest men in all the earth. Behold, when I looked at all of that, he said, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. Stuff that's crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. So I communed with my heart and I said, I'm come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience and wisdom and knowledge. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation in spirit. You can get so smart and you can search out everything. You think you know everything and when it's all said and done, he said it's vanity and vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Wow. Exciting stuff here today on a Sunday morning. He just reached that point where life has driven, it's a grind, and it has so driven him with all, it has placed him in a position of saying it's just all vexation of spirit. He said in chapter 4, I considered all travail, every right work, for that this man is envied of his neighbor. 
People look at other people's stuff and envy it and have jealousy. He said, that's, that's vanity and vexation of spirit. People compare themselves to other people. He said, that's vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. You'd be better off having very little and quietness than to have both hands full with all kinds of stuff. And there's a whole another set of circumstances when you have your hands full of stuff. He said, that's vanity and vexation. I returned, I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second, yea. He hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all of his labor. He's going to work and work and work. Eyes are not satisfied with riches. For whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This all is so is vanity, yea. It is a sore travail. <laughs> You're working, working, working. For what? It's all vexation. You're trying to achieve stuff. Your eye is never satisfied. You try to fill your hands. Your hands become full. You're still not satisfied. You're listening with your ears. You're listening, listening, listening. And eventually, it all comes down to the same statement that he makes over and over and over. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. This is a life that has experienced the grind of living. I want to tell you something. It can happen to people on the outside of these four walls, and it can happen to people on the inside of these four walls. Life has a way of grinding you down. Your finances, your health, there's all kinds of relationship troubles and difficulties it can be a grind on you. And if you're not careful, you will come into the sanctuary with that on your shoulders. Your head is down. Your eyes are cast down. I've come today to be a preacher of wisdom to you. You need to lift up your head and lift up your eyes. And you need to say, I know that life is grinding upon me. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There is peace that passes all understanding. There is a comfort that Jesus brings to me. I've got it better than other people because God is walking with me. He's on my side. He's strengthening me. He's bringing healing to me. Is there anybody in the house of God today that knows what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can feel apathetic until you step into the house of God and you start praising him. Praise God. We need to praise him right now and to give him thanks that no matter where I am, what my situation, I've got reason to thank him. Praise God. Come on, is that the best we can do? I think we need to stand to our feet and say, God, you bless me. You've been faithful to me. Hallelujah. You've been patient with me. Your mercy has been good to me. The peace that I've been reaching for, you bestowed upon me. And so I give you thanks in the house of God today. Come on, let's lift up our voice and fill this sanctuary with worship and thanksgiving. It's the will of God to give thanks. You can find something to be thankful for today. Push the boat out. Amen. Push the boat out. I had a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary a few days where I was trying to gain wisdom. <laughs> Wanted to achieve something. So I drove back and forth twice a week for three years to gain that wisdom. <clears throat> There are things that you need to do in life, but the wise man said all the learning that you get, just vanity and vexation. He was the wisest man. He knew everything. And at some point, he came to the conclusion that the more you know, or the more you think you know, the less you know. The more knowledge you gain, the less you know about stuff. You know, when you're like a teenager, you know everything. <laughs> 
they're not in the building here today, so we can all kind of like, <laughs> when you're a teenager, you know everything. I mean, you know everything. But the older you get, the more you actually know, the less you realize you know. And this particular professor in this wisdom literature class, as we were studying, his name was John Jay. He said, the reader is encouraged to live life this way, according to Psalms and Proverbs. But the reader of Ecclesiastes states, we tried it and it didn't work. You read Psalms and Proverbs, like, do this, this is great. Proverbs got all kinds of general wisdom. Do this, live life this way. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and says, we tried and it didn't work. The thing that helps us, thankfully, that the preacher in Ecclesiastes, at the end of the chapters, he gives to us in chapter 12 and verse number 13, he gives us some hope. He said, let us, this is verse 13 of chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's get that up there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the whole conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and, and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The whole conclusion of the matter is fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You know what? There are going to be some times when you don't feel it, but you're going to do it because it's your duty and God's going to bless you because of it. We don't operate on emotions. We operate on the duty and this is what the whole matter is. When I look at everything, I can become very jaded. But when I recognize and understand, I am. this is my duty. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to have a respect for the things of God. Fear God. Keep his commandments. His word is something that directs me, gives me purpose, gives me a mission in life. And so I know there's going to be some ups and downs. I know I'm going to learn stuff and then realize that I don't know as much. I know my hands are going to be filled with stuff. And that's not going to produce joy and happiness. I know all of that. I recognize all of that. So when it's all said and done, just keep living for God, giving God everything that you've got, following his word. That's your duty. That's your calling. Just be faithful. Just be committed and persevere. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I want to say something here today. Actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to save it for another message sometime. But I'll just give you kind of a hint. I'm faithful for faithful people that say, you know what? I'm going to be here whether it's raining or whether it's sunshine, whether it's a storm or whether, whether everything is going great. I'm committed to be faithful to the kings of kings and his kingdom. I'm going to walk according to his word. Hallelujah. So he gives us some hope at the end there. And the ongoing theme of Ecclesiastes is grasping for the wind, the futility of seeking happiness in things which are under the sun. And by the way, people that are very successful and wealthy are not always happy. We see that often. What is the best thing to do? Are we to remain pessimistic? The resounding answer is no. Because in chapter 11 and chapter 12, the wise man instructs us to take initiative. Yes, so you've seen all this stuff. Yes, you're jaded. Yes, you say all is meaningless. All is vanity, vexation of spirit. 
But at the end of Ecclesiastes, he gives us some initiatives, and we had read one of those initiatives. <laughs> Chapter 11 and verse number 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Well, <clears throat> that's an ancient idiom, and there's some mystery that is connected to that. And commentators even themselves are somewhat divided on the matter. And there are three main suggestions as to what casting your bread on the waters means. It certainly tells us that if we do it, we'll find it after many days. But what does it mean to cast your bread upon the waters? So the three main suggestions that commentators give on this ancient idiom, you know, we have modern idioms and we use them often. And when we use them often, especially when we're talking to somebody that is a different language, it can be a very a big problem. I'll never forget sitting in Sinaloa. Man, I miss that place. Sinaloa, remember that? Yes, that was a great, great uh, Mexican food place. And um, we were sitting there with a man from the Ivory Coast. His name was Francois. Brother Francois. Does anybody remember Brother Francois that came by? He sang a song. If you don't remember him, you will probably remember this. I will never, never, never forget Jesus. No, never. No, never. I will never, never, never forget Jesus. No, never forget my Lord. Remember that? He's the one who taught this song, just a little short song. And we were talking, and so I said something to the effect of, that just drives me up a wall. I could see on Francois' face. English was not his first language. French was. And so he was trying to figure out how to drive up a wall. Couldn't figure that out. I had to explain to him, it, it frustrates me. Not that you're physically driving up a wall, but it's frustrating. And that was an idiom. And this is an ancient idiom. Cast your bread upon the waters. So the three suggestions are maybe that the preacher... Is talking about agriculture, sowing the seed of a rice plant or something like that, and sowing bread corn in the Nile Delta where the waters start to subside, what have you. But agriculture doesn't seem like a possible, uh, plausible interpretation. The more traditional interpretation is philanthropy, acts of charity, that you would cast your bread upon the waters or that you would give without the expectation of anything returning to you, that you would give willingly and cheerfully without expectation of any short-term gain, knowing that that pleases God and will reap an ultimate harvest. We do get some of this in the Old Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So you give, not grudgingly or of necessity. You are a cheerful giver. You are giving, and you're expecting nothing in return. And so this might be a possible interpretation to casting your bread upon the waters. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moss and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
can, will be also, meaning that if you cast your bread upon the water, it is much like casting your treasure or putting your treasure in a heavenly perspective, and there is a reward that is going to come back to you. So this is also another plausible interpretation. But where most agree, the most common understanding of casting your bread upon the water has to do with that of a merchant who is operating a fleet of ships. This would certainly include Solomon because it is stated in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse number 22, and this is very, very important. For the king had at sea a navy of Tharshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tharshish bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. And so ancient ships would go out once every three years. They would go out and they would return, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes and monkeys. This was Solomon's trading in an area. And his trading was built around a long-term investment. It was three years he would send it out. It would be three years before it came back. This is somewhat of a risky adventure because the waters can be troubled. You never know when you push the boat out if the boat is ever going to return back. It's going to be a three-year endeavor. So casting your bread upon the waters means put your provisions out there, push the boat out there, and then just trust, even though there is a risk associated with it, push it out there and trust that in three years something is going to return back to you. The wise man is talking about faith, the provisions of your faith in your life, your spiritual walk with God. There's some things you push the boat out and you don't expect immediately that it's going to return back to you, but you trust when you put it in God's hands that God knows exactly what he's doing with it. And there may be risk on the waters, but it's going to return back to you and you're going to reap on your investment. There are some things that I'm going to put before God in faith. It may not return immediately back to me, but I'm not giving up. I'm trusting in the process because the scripture said it will return back to you. There are things that you prayed about. Your faith has been extended. You pushed the boat out. Don't give up on the investment. It's an investment and God's going to respond back to you. Hallelujah. Let's thank God. Hallelujah that he helps us. He builds our faith. He strengthens us. This has to do with commerce, not necessarily agriculture, philanthropy, but commerce. Casting demands a commitment. Push it out. Push the boat out. You can't stand there at the shore and worry. Well, there might be a risk here. I don't know. I may never get this boat back. If I push it out and it goes into the water and there's an investment there, casting your bread means that you have to, with full commitment, step over the threshold of indecision and say, God, I am going to commit my life and my faith to you. I know it may be risky in the minds of some. There are going to be advisors that come and tell me that I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting my effort. Man, I want to preach right here just for a few minutes because this is what the devil will do with us. 
friends, especially with new people. You're wasting your time. It's an effort in futility. I'm preaching to you as well as the rest of this church is preaching to you. That new endeavor that you're starting on, when you're pushing the boat out and you're saying, I'm going to put my faith and commitment before God. God's going to bless you. God's going to return stuff back to you. You may not see it immediately, but down the road, you're going to look you're going to look back and you're going to say, thank God that God did a work in my life and my family and my future. Thank God I made a commitment. I cast some things out and it demands a total commitment because it's going to be a three-year process. That's the probability of it coming back. But when it comes back, it's going to be something that you will find after many days. And it has a forward look to it. You will find. Cast, commit, you will find. When you make a commitment to the things of God, you will find. There's a forward element to it. You're going to find there is blessing. This is the message of the church. This is the gospel. Praise God. A new, new birth experience transforms your life. You make a commitment. It's a forward look. Bread on the waters. Trust God. Trust God with your life and your commitments. God is going to return it back to you. It is a forward look, but it requires patience. Because the scripture said here, many days it will come back to you. And in many days it will come back to you. Surely the preacher is telling us to step out on faith. We find this in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 1 where Jesus is... So pressed, people are coming, and he's so pressed against the shore that his back is to the water, and there are some ships that are standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. They'd been fishing all night, and so he enters into one of the ships, which was Simon Peter's, and he prays that he would thrust out a little from the land, and so he sat in the boat a little from the land so the crowd was not right up against him, and he started to teach. And he taught the people out of the ship, and then when he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, so much that their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And when they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. My, my faith was not strong enough to accept when you told me to do something. I couldn't see it. And I was filled with unbelief. And the scripture said he was astonished and all that were with him at the amount of fish that they had taken. And this was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed after 
after him. This was their livelihood. This was their trade. This was their occupation. And this was a seminal moment in their life when they recognized we are willing to take the risk of casting the bread on the waters because Jesus told us to do something we could never ever imagine. We didn't believe it. We were filled with unbelief. But when it happened, it increased our faith to leave the ship and the nets and the fish and everything and say we're going to become fishers of men in the kingdom of God. Yes, that's a complexity. I don't know how it's all going to work, but we're going to follow after Jesus because it is worth casting our bread on the waters. And it's going to return back to us. And there were moments in their life when they had to have patience. This is the point of the message here tonight or today, which is that we as apostolic faith, believing people, we should be constantly pushing the boat out. Pushing the boat out. If God promises us something, push the boat out. Cast your bread upon the waters. Yeah, but there's a lot of other stuff. Who cares about all the stuff? I'm going to push it out. I'm going to push the boat out and let God do a work. It may not return immediately back to me. That's okay. That's okay because I know it's an investment, and anything that you invest in the hands of God is going to return back to you. may not be on my time. may not be on the advisors and commerce and the financial folks. may not be on their time either. But what I'm doing is I am trusting God with my faith, and so I'm putting it out there. Today in this house, there are some of you that God that have boats sitting on the shore, and God has directed you. He has guided you. He's put stuff into your spirit, just like the disciples here. Push the boat out. Drop the nets. They're sitting there. You got to push the boat out in faith, and you got to commit that stuff to God and say, God, I know you're going to return the investment back. It may be many days, but that's okay. I'm going to come back to the house of God and have faith to trust that in your hands it is in the proper perspective. And it's in the proper place. There's some timing that's associated with this. There is immediacy of faith. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus was walking by. Blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus called for him. He threw away his beggar's coat. He walked away from his old past. He committed. He cast his bread on the waters. Jesus was there, and there was an immediate return because blind Martimaeus walked away, not blind, but he walked away seeing, and there was an immediacy to that. We read this morning about the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus was passing by. She fought her way through the crowd. She'd spent all of her money on physicians, everything that she had. It was a total loss of investment, total loss of money. But when Jesus was passing by, she pressed her way through, touched the hem of his garment, and there was a significant attaching to the hem of his garment because there was a blue ribbon on the bottom of his garment, and that goes all the way back into the Old Testament because they were supposed to do that to remember their God, and it's also connected with healing. So she felt if I could touch the hem of his garment, the border of his garment, I can be whole. And when she makes her way, he stops in the middle of the crowd and he said, who touched me? The disciples like, have you lost your mind? There's all kinds of people and they're touching you. And how can you say who touched me? And Jesus said, no, I feel virtue has flown, has, has, has moved from my body. And it's a woman that is at his feet and he heals her in that moment. There is an immediacy, an immediacy to that. And that's an amazing thing. The man born of four that's paralyzed, they lower him down through the roof. Jesus is in the house, and he's teaching, and immediately he is healed. 
of his paralysis and his sins are forgiven to him. There's an immediacy there. However, boy, this is the takeaway today. This is what you're going to struggle with today. This verse is not talking about immediacy. It's talking about patience. It's talking about many days. You push the boat out, it's many days before it returns. In the case of Solomon's ships, three years. We live in a society and a culture that doesn't want to be told. It's something that's going to take a long time. We want something to happen immediately. So this passage of Scripture is not talking about immediacy. It's talking about patience. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 11 says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence, diligence, to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham pushed the boat out. And in faith, he was not worrying about the return. And it took years before he ever saw a completion of that investment. Amen. But the scripture here says that it will come back. At what time and at what risk? Nobody knows. Waters can be dangerous and difficulty. The weather patterns can be very, very interesting. But faith is stronger than anything else. And so put your faith in God. Cast your bread on the waters. Push the boat out and invest and believe that God's going to return it back to you. As the musicians come this morning, the disciples made a decision to leave and follow. They left an earthly realm, occupation, job. And they stepped into kingdom culture. This is not something, uh, there's a lot of elements to this. Cast means commitment. Your bread, your provisions, the things that you associate with bread. Bread is always connected with nourishment, provisions. The water, the two don't really go together. If you put bread and water after a while, it's going to dissolve, disintegrate. There's a forward look to it because it's, something is coming back to you. And the idea of pushing the boat out is not something that you stand with insecurity and trepidation and fear because you're worried about the risks associated with it. It has to be a certain boldness that says, I'm going to do this because I know ultimately this is in God's hands. So no matter what risk is associated and when you come to God, there, there's, there's so much risk involved. And that's why we as a church have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We don't want to kill somebody when they're trying to maneuver through all of these things and questions. And we need to give them time to process things because they're thinking about all of these things. And the 
risk that is associated? What is this going to do with all of my relationships? How is this going to impact my family? What's it going to do in terms of my occupation job? How is it going to impact parenting and my kids? Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? There's a, there's, a, there's a lot there, Sister Rena. There's a lot there. There's a lot of complexity. There's some risk associated, and so people are trying to determine, is this going to be worth it? And so they're somewhat insecure. But at some point, you got to approach it with boldness. You got to step out in faith and say, you know what? God is talking to me and God and the voice of God is more important than anything else in my life. So I'm stepping forth with boldness. God has given me access to step into a realm that I've never even understood or known, but I'm going to take the risk. Praise God. And you got to approach it with boldness. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 23, the disciples, despite all that they had gone through, here they are, they're preaching and they're teaching. They're called before the chief priests, the elders. They are told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Do not speak anymore in his name. This all had to do with when they were going into the temple. There was a man asking of alms. Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk the man jumped up and he went into the synagogue started praising God in the temple and and this attracted the attention of the chief priests and the elders they didn't like it because this this ragtag band of disciples were making a movement and preaching in the streets and so they called them forth they beat them they threatened them said don't talk anymore in his name and now they've got a decision what are they going to do are they going to circle the wagons draw inward hide be insecure about their calling and about their faith. Or were they going to step out and cast their bread on the waters and push the boat out and say, you know what? We know Jesus is not a dead God, but he is alive. We experience his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're coming out with boldness and with faith. We're not facing our world with intimidation and fear, but we are saying there is one that can save. There is one that can heal. And he is not a God of the dead, but he is a God of the living. You crucified him, but he is the risen Lord and Savior and he's still powerful and he's still the king so they had a decision to make you gonna push that boat out or not listen to what they said in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 24 Lord thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed and the place was shaken where they were assembled together, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with There is no going back. <laughs> Push the boats out with confidence. 
and boldness. It's going to come back to us. And God's blessing and God's goodness is going to reward us. God is going to do it. It may be risky, but we're not doing it with insecurity because God is in control. You want to know something? There were people in Scripture that approached this idea in many, many different ways. Esther, you're going to walk into the king's room. You could die if he doesn't raise the scepter. You can't go in there with insecurity. you got to go in there with boldness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can't stand before Nebuchadnezzar and all the people and say, we are not going to bow, and if we don't bow, we're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace, but that's okay. You can't do that with insecurity and fear. There has to be a boldness that takes place. David, you can't fight a giant if you're fearful and insecure. You've got to push the boat out. You've got to put your bread on the waters knowing that it's going to come back to you. And I'm going to be patient in the moment. As we stand together in the house of God today, I want to challenge you this morning, whatever you're praying about, things that you have put before the Lord, commitments that need to be made, decisions in your life, the risk that might be associated with all of that. You need to step out of a pew today and walk to the front. Find a place in this altar and say, God, I'm pushing the boat out on this decision. I'm pushing the boat out on this prayer. I'm pushing the boat out on these things. Others may say to me, that is a risk, but that's okay because I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to put my confidence in where God is leading me and where he is taking me because there is a return on it. Praise God. So I'm extending my faith in the house of God today. Praise God. The things you've been praying about. Hallelujah. The promises that God has placed in your path. Maybe you've been struggling with those things because there is risk associated with it. I'm telling you today in the house of God, push the boat out. Praise God. Push the boat. Cast your bread on the waters. It will return to you in many days. Be patient. Be patient. When God opens the door. Persevere, persevere. Press through, press through. Put it before God.
for a few moments. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. You're directing. You're guiding. Hallelujah. I can put my confidence in you. Hallelujah. No matter how many times the enemy comes and arrays himself and itself against 